Today is our final message in the book of Haggai. So if you could right now turn to the second chapter of the book of Haggai while Jerry comes up to read from 1 Kings chapter 9. Uh, reminder, the community cards in the middle of the sermon. I won't be offended. Please fill it out. Please include a prayer request in the back if you just want to drop it off on the table by our video people. We'd love to receive those. Just a heads up, 1 Kings chapter 9, this is where God is making his covenant with Solomon to have this throne forever. If you're following in the Red Bible, we're on page 245. Okay. 1 Kings 9, 1 through 9. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and do all I have commanded and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, You shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to his temple? People will answer, Because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, and worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. Thanks, Jerry. When we hear that word, all of a sudden we realize that all that God promised to Solomon came to pass. He said, as long as you are faithful and obedient, your kingdom will reign forever. But if you stop being faithful, if you stop listening to me, if you go after foreign gods, I'm going to cast you out and you're not going to have this temple And the most telling in verse 8, as the ESV says, and this house will become a heap of ruins. And that's exactly what happened. If you recall from our previous messages, we had these kings of Judah, and they successively became less and less uh, honoring to God, less righteous. And so they ended up being taken to Babylon, um, where they had to exile out of Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. Seventy years passed, and the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, and King Cyrus decided that he was going to allow people, if they wanted to go back to their homelands, build their temples to their gods, they could do that. So the people of Israel, 50,000 of them, got up and they left Babylon. They went to Jerusalem. They started building the temple. They got their hands a little bit dirty, and then they took a short break for 17 years to work on their houses. And that's where Haggai picks up. That's where this whole series began, is the temple had been started, but the people had not worked on it for 17 years. 
So now, as we go through these passages, we've looked at how God, each one of these was an oracle from God challenging the people now. Come and build the temple. Be strong. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you. These are all the words of God to his people saying, go build the temple. And now we come to our passage today, which is Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. So this is actually the second message of the, on the exact same day. It's the same day as the message Pastor Jeff preached about last week. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Hmm. Some of you might be like me the first time you read through this. Who's Zerubbabel? Because honestly, before we even began this study on Haggai, I wouldn't have been able to tell you who Zerubbabel is. And what is going on with the signet ring, and why is it of any importance at all? So to start this, going through this passage, we all have to make sure we're on the same page. We all know who Zerubbabel is. So we're going to have a quick quiz game, okay, with true and false. I'm going to make a statement, and you shout out true or false. I already got an eye roll for this. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. He was a masked crime fighter with a top hat and a sword. False. That was Zorro. Zerubel was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. False. That was Zacchaeus. I'm getting a little closer though. I'm in the New Testament now. Zerubel was the governor of Judah, the leader of the 50,000 people that came from Babylon to Jerusalem. True. Zerubbabel was the leader both at the beginning of the construction of the temple, but he was also there for the completion of the temple and the consecration of the temple. True. We see that in Zechariah and Ezra. Uh, Zerubbabel was a member of the line of David, his grandfather being the king who was led in chains from Jerusalem to Babylon. True or false? That also is True. He was a member of that royal line. So Zerubbabel is not just one random, ordinary guy that happened to get picked here. He is the governor of Judah, the leader of many people, and part of the family line of David. But what's important here to grasp is Zerubbabel was in the line of the kings. But this passage starts with, tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. He should be Zerubbabel, king of Judah. But it was the fault of his ancestors, their sin, their shame, their unrighteousness to God, that he's no longer in that title of king. He's simply the governor. God allowed the Israelites to be captured, and so that's his uh, role to hold in Israel right now. So with that in mind, we're going to step through this passage. In the first half of the passage, just verses 20 to 22, we see a bunch of real apocalyptic, vivid language of war. Uh, first, as I've mentioned, we've got Zerubbabel being called the governor. And as the governor, God is pointing to, the, to Zerubbabel's 
political status. He's saying, Zerubbabel, as the governor, as this is your political status, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. At this point, God's starting. He's saying, I'm going to shake everything. He's at the grand scale. And then he says, I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. Now he's talking at the, uh, a little bit inward at the thrones and the kingdoms level, a little bit smaller piece. But God's control doesn't stop there. It goes all the way to the rider and the driver of chariots. Each one of them is going to fall and die by the sword of their brother because of what God does. So what we see when we look at all of this, all these verbs, is that God is sovereignly in control. None of the verbs in this passage have Zerubbabel as the subject. He's not the one doing anything here. It's God saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. And all of this language points Zerubbabel to something much bigger than the temple. Where all the previous messages in Haggai were about the building of the temple, about a building, this is about something much bigger. The kingdom, the future of Israel. Now we look at verse 23. And verse 23 is really the crux of this passage and it's a huge part of Haggai in general. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. When we read through this, Zerubbabel is not referred to as the governor here, is he? He's referred to instead as the son of Shealtel. Well, so what's happening is God's shifting from I'm talking about your political status, but God's saying, now I'm talking about your ancestry, your family line. So this stirs up some memories for Zerubbabel of who his family line really is. So when we think back to our quiz game that was so awesome about Zerubbabel, we've, you know, we know that his family's responsible for the fall of the kingdom and the royal throne. But do you know what God actually had to say about his family to his family? We actually see in Jeremiah chapter 22, God's words both to his great-grandfather and to his grandfather. And they're not words that you would like to have to your family. In verse 18 and 19, we find a message to Zerubbabel's great-grandfather, Jehoiakim. Therefore, says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him. With the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. He's a king. And God's saying he's going to be buried like a donkey. He's going to be dragged and dumped outside the gates. Israel was an honor and shame type culture. So to have something this shameful would have been like the worst thing that you could have. For Zerubbabel to know that his great-grandfather was going to be treated and was treated in such a shameful way would have been shameful for him even generations later. But it gets worse. In verse 24, we see Zerubbabel's words to his grandfather. And in this passage, it says, Kaniah, that's short for Jeconiah. And sometimes in the Bible, you'll see Jeconiah. Sometimes you'll see Jehoashin. Same guy, bunch of different words. Just want to make sure this is definitely Zerubbabel's grandfather. 
As I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, if he were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country. So not only is Zerubbabel's family the reason Judah was cut off from relationship with God, but God said that if his grandfather was a signet ring, he would be cast off, cut off and cast off. This is a crucial piece of the story here because Zerubbabel is hearing from God language of a signet ring, the exact same language God used for his grandfather just two generations earlier. So for those of you not familiar with this popular piece of jewelry, the signet ring was something that could either be worn on a finger or worn on a necklace around the neck. It was a round ring with a flat piece on it, and the flat piece had engraved on it the seal of the king or the person whose authority you were going in. So when you took that seal and you pushed it into a piece of clay or a piece of hot wax, it would leave the seal of the king on it. As a result of this being how a signet was used, it was incredibly valuable. It's how you could say, I have the authority of the king behind me. It was the type of thing that you never took off, that you guarded carefully, that you regarded as incredibly valuable. But also, the signet ring was only as valuable as the person backing it up. If you had the signet ring of a prince of 50 people, it's not nearly as powerful or valuable as the signet ring of the Lord God Almighty, right? So God is saying to Zerubbabel's grandfather, essentially, I'm so mad at you that I'm willing to take this incredibly valuable piece that's my own authority and just throw it away. I just want to get you off my hand because I can't stand you. I want you completely separated from me. This is incredible language here. On the other hand, for Zerubbabel, he's being told that God wants to make him like a signet ring. What that says is that God saying Zerubbabel is incredibly valuable. That he's giving Zerubbabel all of his power and authority. So imagine what this means to Zerubbabel. Imagine what hearing these cleansing words would mean. He's hearing, I will take you. I will make you. I have chosen you. Think of how those words would be healing when the previous words that you knew were for your family were, I would tear you off, I will hurl you, for none of his offspring shall succeed. This is like God rewriting the value of Zerubbabel, taking what was a broken family tree and restoring it with these healing words. These were powerful words of God's grace and reconciliation to Zerubbabel. So as we've looked at this whole passage now, To summarize, this is a message of hope for the future. God is sovereignly restoring the failed monarchy and he's using Zerubbabel to represent the restoration of the royal throne and ushering in this new kingdom. That's what this is about. But it raises two questions. The first question, if you caught, in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, it's none 
this is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime. For none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. And commentators have tried to go around this verse a number of different ways. Because at first glance, you say, regard him as childless. Well, he had children already at that point. And he says, none of his children will sit on the throne of David. But Zerubbabel's clearly part of his line, it seems. And then uh, we just, we look at that and we go, okay, how does this work? And I could go into the details of how different commentators go around it. But I don't think any of you have had enough coffee to stay with me on this. It gets very detailed. We go through a lot of scripture. And it's not like hocus pocus. Oh, I don't think that makes sense. There's a couple of ways you can look at it and say, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And that's how God can say this here, but also use the rule. But the point of this isn't, okay, what's the nitty gritty of how this works? The point is to the Israelites, after reading this from Jeremiah, who is before Haggai, they would say, how on earth is God's promise to David to have somebody on the throne of Israel forever going to happen? Because in the same breath, God has cut off this royal line. So they're saying, how is this going to happen? And what we see in this passage is that God solved the problem. God is the one who provided a way. He restored the line and was faithful to the promise of David. Our second question is, did Zerubbabel actually accomplish any of the stuff in this passage that it says he does? And while Zerubbabel is mentioned in four books of the Old Testament, we don't actually see him accomplishing any of the things. We don't see thrones being overturned, foreign kingdoms being conquered by the Israelites in his lifetime. And there's no archaeological evidence to prove that otherwise. But what we do know is the way that the Old Testament, the Hebrew writers would have written, is that when they used a person's name, oftentimes that person stood for their entire line of descendants. So when you read about Adam, sometimes Adam stands in for all of mankind because Adam is the first of mankind. When you read about, sometimes David will stand in for the entire royal line of David's descendants. It won't say all of David's descendants. It will just say David. So in the same way, when this says Zerubbabel, it may mean that somebody in his line is the one who accomplishes what we read in the text. Can you imagine where I might be going now? That's right. Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. We find Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel. In Matthew chapter 27, after Jesus' death, the whole earth shakes. With his resurrection, Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom, a political and spiritual shaking of the entire earth is going on when Jesus, the Son of God, is raised from the dead. So it's in Jesus that this prophecy about Zerubbabel is fulfilled. And that's great news for us. Because now we, we're part of the church we're part of Israel, so we're a part of this political and spiritual shaking. And I'm not talking about Israel as the modern nation state that we see in the news. I'm talking about Israel as God's kingdom breaking through to all of humanity today. On the individual level, we look and we see that Zerubbabel was chosen by God. God chose him, and God gave him his authority. 
And I want to say God has also chosen you. It didn't matter that Zerubbabel's family line was full of some of the least godly people or that his ancestors actually led Israel completely astray to idol worship. That didn't matter to God. God chose Zerubbabel. He sovereignly chose him. So regardless of your past, of your family, of your shame, of the things that sometimes you sit and say, why on earth would God choose me? I'm not worthy of that reconciliation. I'm saying you are because God has chosen you. In the New Testament, Paul writes in his letters in Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, he uses the language to the church laws of God has chosen you. So if you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you obey Jesus, then you're part of this church and your past doesn't matter. God has chosen you. So if you're holding on to your past or you're holding on to your shame, if Zerubbabel had held on and been like, God, I can't be the king because you told my grandfather that I could, my line could never be the king. God's saying, that doesn't matter. I choose you. So let go of those things. Some of you here today may feel like God hasn't chosen you. You may feel like, you know what, Ryan, what you're saying is great, but you don't know what my past is. You don't know the hurt and the baggage that I hold on to or that I carry. I'm trying to do good to reconcile myself with God and maybe one day I'll get enough stuff done. But that's not what this passage is about. This isn't about God waiting for Zerubbabel to do enough good stuff that God chooses him. God chose him. God wants to choose everybody. He wants all to come and be a part of the kingdom of heaven. So let's remember that. That God is sovereign and God does the choosing. Last, we think about Jesus. Jesus was the first of the chosen. He's the first fruits in the kingdom of God. And he recognized that being chosen by God, being in this line of Zerubbabel, he had the authority of God. He understood that he was that Zerubbabel passage. He was the signet ring. And it's because of that, knowing that he had the full authority of God, that he was able to say this to all of his disciples at the time, through the ages, and to us today. Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's under the same authority today that Jesus sends out his followers. We're God's chosen ones. We're supposed to go out and make disciples. He's commissioned us in light of our status as chosen to be part of this breaking through of the kingdom. So with that in mind, would Pastor Jeff please come up And talk to us about the opportunity that all of us at Waukee Community Church have to be a part of this kingdom breaking through to our community here in Waukee. Coming up in a few short weeks, we have an opportunity to allow God to use us, in a sense, as a signet ring, as God's chosen people, as a church body, that we can go out and allow God's kingdom to break through in our lives into the lives that are around us. 
Now, at the end of April, we're going to have something called Faith in Action Sunday, where we are not going to gather right here as a church. We're going to gather as a church, and it's going to look a little bit different. It's going to look like an active body that's going out into the community. April 29th, we're going to gather over at the church office starting at 9.30. And we're going to have a short time of singing, short challenge from God's Word. And then we're going to go at 10 o'clock, we're going to go out and serve the community of Waukee. We're targeting downtown Waukee area, uh, just west of Warrior Lane and south of Ashworth, in that area right there. And so that's the area that we're going to go out and we're going to look at how is it that we can um, build relationships neighbor by neighbor. Build relationships neighbor by neighbor. Because we're going to go out and hopefully be able to start uh, the dialogue with the community uh, in downtown Waukee by various things. It might be something uh, such as going to an apartment complex and having a, a two-hour, whether it be a, a soccer type of clinic or uh, maybe a, an opportunity just to uh, interact with the kids in the neighborhood. That's one possibility. I don't know if that's going to be it or not, but we need a team that would be interested in maybe doing that, going into an apartment complex or an apartment area to go in and just connect with the kids in that neighborhood, to play soccer with them, to, to um, organize some type of clinic with them. Uh, there's communities within Waukee that, of people that don't get a chance to go out very much. And so we're looking for a team that would be willing to go in and just spend a couple of hours getting to know those individuals, build relationships with them, uh, to start a dialogue with them. Um, we're looking at a couple of people that can, can uh, cut down trees, um, to clean up shrubs, to do some, some yard work, work within the community of Waukee. So these are all teams that we're, we're starting to try to develop. We're trying to, to, to see wh- what type of talents God has given us, what type of gifting God has given us, and turn around and be able to, to bless the community of Waukee. Now, starting or this coming weekend, Friday and Saturday, we're going to have a prayer walk where we can go out into the community, into those neighborhoods, um, and take a sticky note and put it on the door of different houses, of houses in those neighborhoods, and say, we're going to be in your neighborhood. Is there any type of yard work that you need, to, need done? Is there any type of window washing you need done? Um, is there any small projects in your house that we could do and, and be able to bless you with the talents that God has given us? And so we need uh, life groups. We need individuals that would be willing to go around, spend an hour maybe. And uh, if you get your life group together, it might take a little bit shorter than that. I've broken down um, downtown Waukee into five different areas. And there's about 100, 150 houses in each of those different areas. And so if you get your life group together on a Friday uh, evening or a Saturday at some point to take those sticky notes and put them on the door, all you have to do is put the note on the door. Or if you see an individual, talk with them and let them know what we're doing. And uh, there's a contact information on that sticky note. And at the same time, just pray for the community. Just kind of keep your eyes open. Um, something that I've been praying for over the past couple of weeks is that I would see people as God sees them. And that's what my prayer is, that we as Waukee Community Church would see the people of Waukee as God sees them. That they are individuals that need Christ. Um, there's people in Waukee that, that know Christ, but there's people in Waukee that don't know Christ. And so that just pray that we would see those individuals and be able to have compassion on them and be able to bless them with the gifts and talents that God has given us to start that dialogue so that we can see God's kingdom breaking through. Um, 
talk to your life group about Friday and Saturday. If you're not involved in a life group, see me after the service. I can uh, point you in the direction of a life group. Um, if you're not in a life group, see me and find a, a, a I can plug you in and, and get you um, connected with a group that's going to be going out either on Friday or Saturday to do the prayer walk. And then also April 29, keep that on your calendar. It's not, a, it's not a morning for you to sleep in. It's not a morning for you to stay home. But it's a morning for you to come and do a little bit different um, activity here um, as, as a church body. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. So as we conclude our series on the book of Haggai, we've watched as Zerubbabel and the people of Israel were obedient to God's call. They took and they changed their priorities from being focused on their own lives to being focused on being obedient to God, putting God in the place of prominence, putting his temple in the place of prominence, and building that temple. But one thing they couldn't do was restore the broken line of the monarchy. That was something that they had no ability to do. It was actually their sin and the sin of their ancestors that had broken that. But God could restore it. And it was God who reconciled Zerubbabel to himself. God made a way. Because God was never truly that interested in the temple, in the building. God's interest has always been in his relationship with his people. And so... God restored that relationship. He'd made a covenant with David that his descendants, David's descendants, would sit on the throne forever. And so God cleared a way that Jesus could sit on the throne, that Jesus could be the king, that Jesus could lead the kingdom forever. And now we get to be a part of that kingdom breaking through. And so for that, let's please stand right now and sing Glory to God forever, giving God all the glory for making a way, for restoring his people, and for being true to his promise to David that we would have a king forever.